Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. The General Assembly just wrapped up its short session for 2018 with plans to return November 27th after the fall election. Today on the show, we're going to take a look at what happened in the short session in terms of education by talking to some key stakeholders and advocates. We've really got a great lineup of guests today. We'll get their take on the hits and misses and what it all might mean for education in North Carolina. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Forty employees at the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction have been laid off and another 21 vacant positions have been eliminated thanks to a $5 million budget cut handed down by the North Carolina General Assembly. Now, most of the cuts were in educator support services, a division that helps low-performing schools and districts across the state that has received high marks from researchers for its positive impact on student performance. Last week, just before the 4th of July holiday, the state board and DPI released some fairly pointed statements criticizing each other's behavior. Chairman Bill Coby said Superintendent Mark Johnson has declined opportunities to work together and is disregarding the board's constitutional role. He said it was affirmed by the Supreme Court. Now, in response, Lindsey Wakely, who is Mark Johnson's chief of staff and legal counsel, responded that the state of North Carolina and Mark Johnson won. Coby lost. A private school that receives state funding via the Opportunity Scholarship Voucher Program is in trouble with federal authorities. Evelyn Mack, founder of Evelyn Mack Academy in Charlotte, has pled guilty to using her small private school to falsely enroll top foreign basketball recruits to shield them from immigration authorities in exchange for cash. Now, in 2016-27, this uh, school in Charlotte received $25,000 in taxpayer dollars through the Opportunity Scholarship Program and another $8,000 in special education vouchers. Finally, a new study is out of, in, out of NC State of teacher preparation students found that they are more likely to mistake emotions for anger in the face of, of a black person than a white person and are more likely to view the behavior of black boys as hostile. The study's lead author, psychology professor Amy Halberstadt, said most Americans carry an implicit unconscious racial bias which can have unintended impact on students of color. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines as well as the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, today we're going to look back at the recently concluded short session of the General Assembly. And joining us first to talk about what happened are, we have Justin Parmenter. Now, Justin is a seventh grade teacher in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools. Justin has become is one of the more prolific writers and spokespeople for teacher issues in North Carolina. So you may recognize his name. And next to him is Dr. Shirley Prince. Dr. Prince is a, uh, a seasoned school administrator and a very well-respected executive director of the North Carolina Principals and Assistant Principals Association. So thank you both for being here. Now, Justin, I want to start with you. The short session just ended. When it started on the first day was the day of the teacher march. And you were here. That's right. I was. Um, so you and about, uh, estimated about almost 20,000 of your uh, colleagues across North Carolina uh, descended on Raleigh to, to sort of make your voices heard. So tell us now that the session is over, were teachers' voices heard? Did you see some things that um, uh, you were hoping to see? 
Well, May 16th was an incredible day. I mean, it was, a, it was a, as you mentioned, a massive display of discontent on the part of teachers. And it, I think it really built a strong sense of community and empowered teachers and enabled us to share information about the conditions that we face all over the state. I think most teachers that were, that were here in Raleigh on May 16th would agree that um, the, the requests that we made of the General Assembly were not met. In the short session, and and, and I'm and I'm and I'm, I mean, I'm just guessing. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You probably didn't expect everything. Certainly not in the in what would be called a short session. But um, um, some of the things we were out there with our cameras for Education Matters, and um, you know, we heard a lot of things around school supplies and textbooks and just general resources. Were those the kind of things you were at least hoping to see some progress on? Yeah, we were hoping to see progress there. And I think you know, one of the big things we were hoping to see progress on was some help with our capital needs. And there was a big missed opportunity when the, the bond was not put on the general election ballot for November there. Yeah, that's something we've, we've definitely talked about on the show, and I think we'll, we'll get into that in the next, with our next guest, too. Um, Shirley, I want to ask you, uh, we've talked, we've had you on the show, and we've actually had several principals on talking about the new principal pay plan. There were some changes made, but there were some, because there were some questions about a negative impact on veteran principals. Um, I guess, first of all, um, what happened, sort of what did the legislature do, and sort of how do you feel about it right now? Sure. Um, first, I, I think the General Assembly should be commended for the amount of additional revenue that they've put into the principal pay plan. The last two years, $52 million, and that was a result of a lot of attention being focused on the importance of the role of the principal and the very low ranking nationally We've in their pay. About, about 50th, right? Correct, nationally, correct. Yeah. So we're very pleased with that, and we're very pleased that our, we had a, a list of improvements that we wanted, and our two priority improvements were addressed, and that was to increase base pay, and that was increased by 6.9%, and also to extend the hold harmless, which was done for one more year. There are other structural uh, type improvements that we will be seeking. Right. Um, we really had a short session this time. Right, it and was. so those situations, th those improvements really didn't have time to get addressed, but we have a number of them. Right. Um, one in particular is we believe that experience needs to be recognized in some sort of fashion. And um, you know, all the research shows experience does matter. As a matter of fact, it is the most clearly identified variable when you're looking at the effectiveness of principles. It's the experience level. Don't you think that's true in a lot? I mean, that, oh, yeah. that seems to be true in a lot of. I mean, look. I mean, we're going to talk to, to to Justin again about teachers, but the experience matters in, oh, in all walks of life. Absolutely, yeah. And and the other situation that we have with our veteran principals, uh, I think it's. One of the things that we advocated for, Keith, was that the principal salary schedule be tied to the teacher salary schedule. Similarly, uh, in a similar way that the assistant principal salary schedule ultimately uh, was adjusted. So that if you're a teacher, once you become an assistant principal, your pay increases by 19%. We don't have that structure for principals. So consequently, last year, 44% of the principals were being, uh, were, were being paid as either a teacher or an assistant principal because they would make more by, by being gotcha. on that salary schedule. Well, I, I want to get back, since we're on the topic of pay, I mean, that was one of the things that, was, that I observed. Um, the, the 
teachers weren't really talking a lot about pay. I mean, in, in some ways, unfortunately, teachers kind of accept, we know we're not going to get paid a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but it was the other things, right? You've been in, in the classroom for more than 20 years. What, That's right. what else is, what sort of, what is the condition right now? Well, I think most, most teachers, the ultimately our, our goal is that our students will have a decent environment to learn in, that they'll be provided with the, with the resources and conditions that they need um, for, for learning to take place, and that's not currently what we have right now. What about the, uh, there was a lot of talk early on in the session about school safety and, and, and sort of uh, more support for mental health. Um, um, what did you see coming out of the, of the short session on sort of more support like that for you as a teacher? to help you support the you know, children who are dealing with issues? Mm -hmm. Well, I thought the work that the House Select Committee on School Safety did um, was fantastic. I thought they were very honest in addressing the importance of school support staff and, and the current ratios that we have, which are so far below the recommended levels. Uh, unfortunately, that, that didn't really translate into a lot of action during the session. Right, yeah, that's, I mean, I mean there were a lot of, a lot of some number of bills, but really nothing kind of that, that gave anything significant on that. Speaking of, of preparation, General Assembly has put some more dollars into, and in fact, your organization um, you know, is, is real involved in, in principal preparation. Are we moving in, the, in a good direction there in North Carolina? A absolutely. Um, we have um, five programs that are funded through a grant that the General Assembly established. And these five programs are using best practices across the board to really select the absolute best candidates to be prepared for the principalship, supporting them extensively throughout their preparation period, um, full-time, fully released residencies where they're coached and mentored. And so, yeah, we just graduated 118 candidates. So that's 118 very well-prepared individuals that are now in the principal pipeline and quite a few of them already placed. Great. Last word from you, Justin. What's your um, um, biggest, I get biggest disappointment? Uh, sort of what didn't happen. I think the biggest disappointment would be the 1.9 billion dollars in, in capital needs that we could have gotten if voters had approved it in November. Right. Very good. Look, thank you both for being here. We raised a lot of good issues. We're going to talk some more about it with our next guest. Thank you. So when we come back, we do have two more guests from some research and advocacy groups here to get their take on the session. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. This session, the General Assembly passed six amendments to the North Carolina Constitution for this November's ballot. How many constitutional amendments have been proposed in total in the previous 25 years? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer A? In the last 25 years, uh, state legislators have placed 10 constitutional amendments on the ballot. This year, there'll be six. Now we're gonna continue our discussion with representatives of two groups who keep a close eye on legislative happenings. They are Alexandra Sirota. Alexandra is the director of the Budget and Tax Center, and um, you know, by their name, you can tell they are, their interest is on you know, budget and fiscal policy, tax policy, and how that impacts North Carolina. Next to her, Rob Thompson, a well-known figure in sort of child advocacy and child issues. He is the deputy director of NC Child. They focus on 
overall child issues, and you can correct me when, you, when we talk more, uh, everything from health and, and wellness to education, anything affecting children in North Carolina. So thank you both for being here. Alexander, I want to talk to you because we have a lot of conversation on this show about resources, and there's not enough resources, or there's lack of resources, and um, your organization focuses a lot on taxes and budget. Mm -hmm. What has happened in North Carolina in terms of the tax cuts and what impact has that had on sort of the ability of our state, sort of how much money is available to spend on whatever, on whatever the priorities of the legislature? Um, well, basically, we know that budgets are about our priorities, and the choices that have been made um, since 2013 really have meant that even though we're experiencing an economic expansion and growth, we are not investing at the level that we could be, and that's because legislative leaders have chosen to cut taxes. The result of that is that each year we have less than we would have had um, to make commitments to schools, to our children's well-being, um, to our families, and to our neighborhoods. The number is staggering. Um, in January 2019, North Carolina will have $3.5 billion less than what we would have had under the old tax code. That's a cumulative number, or you mean every year? Every year, and so the cumulative impact of that, each year that we aren't making investments, we know from the research, each year a child isn't experiencing all of the programs and services that support their healthy development. We're missing the opportunity to set North Carolina on a better path for the future. Rob, well, uh, these priorities, um, some of these are your organization and yours um, around children's, investing in children's programs. Um, looking at what just happened in the short session, from an NC Child perspective, um, um, sort of what, uh, what was done that uh, you would have liked to being, I guess, see differently? Sure. Well, we think legislators missed a big opportunity this session with new federal early education money uh, that was approved with a big bipartisan vote in Congress in, I think it was March. We got about $74 million to expand access to early education. It's a tremendous opportunity. That's pre-K, right? It was, gonna, it was supposed to be for pre-K. It was going to go to child care. Child care overall. Okay, child care. Child care. Okay. 50,000 kids on a waiting list in North Carolina for child care assistance. So these are families that need that support and kids that need that opportunity. And fortunately, the legislature took $50 million of those $74 million and basically redirected it back into the general fund through a series of funding swaps that isn't worth getting into the details of, but redirected that money for other purposes. So that's, that would have been $50 million that, that could have gone to families to support uh, childcare and other expenses that they just aren't going to be available now. That's exactly right. There's about 6,000 kids who could have had access to an early education who now are not going to have access to an early education because of that funding diversion. Now this, I'm going to get a little wonky, but I mean, we talk about sometimes the uh, sort of supplant versus supplement. Right. I mean, it, aren't there some, aren't there often federal rules that like, if we're going to give you $75 million for childcare, you have to go toward that. You can't just take out the money you were investing. And I've actually read something recently the Budget and Tax Center put out. You talked about how we've, we've got this trend of every time there's new federal money, we basically are disinvesting North Carolina dollars and using that instead of, I guess, you know, again, right. supplementing, making it, making it and reaching more kids. Is that a problem? Right. It's a huge problem. Um, and it basically undermines the priorities that our leaders say they have. If we prioritize children and their well-being, we should be putting state dollars towards that. We know that the federal level of decision-making right now is very uncertain. It's very unclear how long dollars will last. North Carolina needs to be prepared to make those commitments long term. 
again, to the choices, because we've cut taxes over the years in a way, again, that primarily benefits wealthy taxpayers and big corporations, we have not been able to make those state-level commitments. So I would also say that in, in relation to the decision to shift federal dollars to a state commitment, as legislators see that they have diminished resources to meet the growing needs in a growing state, they're going to make bad choices that move money in the wrong ways. Right. Uh, Rob, anything that, um, I guess, did we, were there any, I said hits or misses, there may have been some near misses too, are there some things that almost happened that didn't, are there some things that you, really, you were watching real close, and sort of, yeah. sort of give me some other uh, things that we should have been uh, paying attention to. Sure, so as I'm sure you've talked about before, the, the budget process here was somewhat unique, <laughs> right? There was no opportunity for uh, amendments, they just rolled out a budget and it was either an up or down vote on it. And it was all done, you know, more or less behind closed doors. So we, you know, advocates and, you know, administrative people weren't able to see what was in it. So one thing that happened was they left out funding for the suicide prevention lifeline. Okay. It's a relatively small amount of funding, but that lifeline gets 5,000 calls a month from North Carolinians who really need help. And we know that one in 10 North Carolina teenagers have actually reported trying to commit suicide. Mm. Uh, so this is a serious issue and is left out of the budget. Fortunately, funding for that was included in the technical corrections bill passed okay. before the end of session. What about uh, about on health care? I mean, anything about, um, uh, did we do anything to, to help expand health care? Did we do some things to make uh, health care less accessible? Or Sure, there were two things that almost happened. So one, there was a proposal uh, to allow these unregulated health plans in our state which would have driven up the cost of healthcare for people with pre-existing conditions because they would have carved out healthy people. So that would have made you know, families who have these types of conditions unable to get insured. And then another thing that happened was there was a push in the beginning of the budget process to implement work requirements for our Medicaid program. Okay. And this would have had a really bad effect on uh, of families, particularly people with disabilities. Uh, real quick, last word. You, I know you guys talked a lot about this tax cap we actually talked about on the show. It, it happened as a constitutional amendment, but they raised it from five and a half to seven. Is it still problematic? Oh, it's a huge problem. I mean, basically what we're doing is locking in the tax rates that have happened that are unable to keep up with the growing needs of our state. Right. We know that's going to be a problem in the near term. We know it's going to mean future legislators have fewer tools and they're likely to turn to sales and property taxes okay. to raise. All right, well, look, we're out of time. Thank you both for joining us today. Good conversation. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week we spotlight Meredith Henderson from Go Global North Carolina. Leadership Spotlight is brought to you by Participate, where we believe every student deserves equitable access to quality education. What we want to do is help North Carolinians reap the benefits of global engagement 
and mitigate some of those challenges of globalization. So to be um, culturally competent and to have that idea of how you can um, interact with the rest of the world is just critical. We do that through a number of different kinds of programs and events. Those programs are programs that incorporate both study here in North Carolina as well as an international immersion experience. And then each of the participants in each of those programs has a responsibility in some way, shape, or form to bring back their lessons learned to the broader community. We have an eighth grade science teacher. She traveled with us to Germany in 2017, and one of the things that she was so impressed by there was the commitment by students, teachers, schools, towns, communities to this idea of sustainability. And so she came back and she um, gave them a research assignment. They could develop some sustainability plans for the town of Cary that would improve life. And the top presenters actually got to present their plans to council members with a real world implication, potential for real world action. Another teacher is a visual arts teacher and she went to South Africa and she got very excited by this idea of the comparison between civil rights movements in South Africa and in the United States. And she came back and wrote a play. She got some artists in residence to come in, musicians who taught some of the students drumming. They just involved the whole community in this play that they presented a number of different times and they used the proceeds to benefit the United Way in Chatham County as well as a South African charity. We had a high school math teacher who traveled with us and one of the things that struck him as a challenge that happens around the world is about access to upper level math. He decided to ask some of his upper level math students um, to help with this. Students in North Carolina and around the world have questions about these challenging math problems and they don't really understand them. So he created a YouTube channel called ABSS Math Help and he invited people um, to send questions in about math problems that they didn't understand. And his students would solve the math problems on video, post them on a YouTube channel, and so far they've had people from 55 different countries who are able to access this. Teachers come back and they excite their um, kids learning about the global community. They find ways to take students abroad. They in integrate it in their classes. They create new global classes and international classes. They encourage their kids to take world languages. Just so many different ways that they get kids excited about learning about the world and about the opportunities that are out there for them. Cool program. If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. Our guests today pointed out what they saw as some of the hits and misses from this year's short, short session at the North Carolina General Assembly. The investment in salary increases for teachers and as you heard for principals was certainly welcome. The legislature also avoided some truly terrible ideas like arming teachers. But questions do remain. Why weren't there any meaningful new increases in textbook funding or classroom supplies with such a large budget surplus available to invest? Why, with $8 billion in school building needs statewide, did the General Assembly refuse to allow voters to even consider a $1.9 billion school bond this November? But one of the more puzzling moves was the $5 million cut at the Department of Public Instruction. 
Despite appeals from both the Republican-led State Board of Education and Republican State Superintendent Mark Johnson, the General Assembly moved ahead with the cuts that triggered layoffs and job eliminations that fell almost exclusively on the department's educator support services. Now, this is a group that works with our state's most challenged, low-performing schools in largely rural school districts across North Carolina. You might ask if this was a poorly run or ineffective group. Actually, quite the opposite. Widely respected education researcher Dr. Gary Henry from Vanderbilt studied it and called it the group's school turnaround work among the most ambitious in the nation with significant positive effects on students, the likes of which he had not seen with other states. These cuts will fall on our state's lowest performing schools in some of the poorest communities in our state. Gutting this effort simply makes no sense. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week with a brand new show.